That is the, the book, not the man. And that it's one of the three most attacked books from the Bible. The first would be, the first most attacked book is the book of Genesis. That's the foundation book. And it predicts, Genesis, among other things, predicts the incarnation of Christ coming in this, as in the seed of the woman. Uh, the other great book that's attacked in the Old Testament is, would be Daniel. And that predicts the glorious second coming of Christ where he destroys his enemies. And, of course, gives us the 70th week of Daniel. And then the third book of the Bible that's so attacked and so vilified and so mocked at by the scoffers is, of course, this book of Jonah. And this, in type, this book predicts the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Matthew 12, 38 to 41, that he'd be three days and three nights in the whale, in the belly of the whale. And uh, by the way, I, I was reading and research for this message, but uh, I'm not even going to touch on it for time's sake. But just to say, there's been a number of men down through the years that have been swallowed by whales and lived. Very, you can just document that. Just uh, a lot of stories about uh, true accounts of sailors that have spent long times in the uh, in uh, belly of a fish and lived. And so it's not that, not that incredible. And even if John is the only person in the whole world, he, it happened. It's a true story. We want to, I'm going to let you remain seated tonight. I want you to put your thinking cap on, though, and I'm excited about uh, sharing a few things with you tonight here. Look, I'm going to let you just listen tonight. Just follow along as I read. Verses 1 through 8 of Jonah, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And there he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. There was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was likened to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And verse 8 is our, is, our, is our text verse, and so let's read that together, and let's slow down, we'll read it together uh, in unison. Ready? Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? And what is thy country? And of what people art thou? May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us ask God's blessing as we look at this subject this morning. Jonah this evening, I should say, Jonah, who are you? Jonah, who are you? Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, take this story that's 2,700 some years old now. Lord, speak to our hearts once again afresh and anew, like you've done millions of times in congregations, Lord, down through the centuries. Lord, may we ask this question that was these questions that were asked of the sailor, by the sailors to Jonah. Jonah, who are you? Lord, we need to ask the question this, this evening, who are we? I pray you'd bless in the moments together around that word. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. 
this account, this is one of the earlier prophets, it's 780 B.C., therefore about 7, 2,800 years ago, we're talking, this event happened. What of Jonah? Well, first of all, was Jonah a real person? Well, verse 1 validates the fact that Jonah was a real person. The Bible says, now the word of the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, folks, came unto Jonah, now the identifier, the son of a Amittai, saying, uh, we know from Jonah, from the very first verse of this book, that Jonah was a real person. If you want a cross-reference, and if you have a cross-reference Bible, you may see the cross-reference already. It may be in your Bible there, but 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, you need not turn there, but it speaks about Jeroboam II. Now, this is of the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes. They were already apostating from the faith, faith uh, and their great nemesis to the north of them. The Assyrians, of course, were the, the, the rulers of the... They, they, they ruled the Rus. They were, they were pagans. They were wicked. They were... They were they, were, uh, they made the, the, the Nazis of World War II and the Japanese imperialist army look like uh, Sunday school picnic kids. They were, these guys were brutal, to say the least. And they were the oppressors of uh, Jeroboam II and Joash, another king of the northern kingdom, in which time that Jonah was a prophet. Uh, he's from the tribe of Zebulun. Tomorrow morning, it's interesting, but tomorrow morning, just Karen and Bonnie, I'm quite sure... They'll probably travel through, if they take the same route we took, they'll probably be in Nazareth tomorrow morning, the home of Jesus' uh, hometown, of course, that he grew up in. And north of Nazareth, not far. I mean, if you take Nazareth, let's make Nazareth be Torrington, just about 10 miles north or maybe up to maybe Norfolk or Connecticut, uh, you would have the land of Zebulun. And this is where this prophet was from. They'll, they'll go through tomorrow. They'll probably go through the land of the northern tier of Zebulun on the way to the northern part of the Sea of Galilee up to the tribe of Dan. That's probably, I'm guessing, what the, the journey they'll be taking just tomorrow and, and uh, Monday, I imagine. That's where Jonah lived. And, of course, this is in refutation to the prophets or to the Pharisees. In John 7, 52, they mocked the Lord and they misspoke like they did many times. They said that there was no prophet that would come out of Galilee. Well, they were wrong about that because this, this prophet right here, Jonah, was, came out of Galilee, came out of the north, came out from the tribe of Zebulun. And so... The so-called scholars, they were wrong. And so, uh, what do we know about Jonah? Well, from verse 1 alone, we know, let's review three things that we know from Jonah, just from verse 1. This it comes from the word of the Lord. So we know that Jonah, first of all, was an Israelite. He was an Israelite. And again, it says so in verse number 9, he's a Hebrew there. So he's an Israelite. So number 2, we know that he was a prophet. And if we were to cross-reference, we won't take the time, and I don't expect you to trust me, but just hear me and look it out, check it out for yourself. He was probably one of the leaders at that time of the school of the prophets, nearing the end of Elisha's, a contemporary of his, Elisha's ministry. And so he was an Israelite. He was of the school of the prophets. Many scholars believe that he was one of the leaders of the school of the prophets. He wasn't just a preacher, if you will. He was a preacher's preacher. He was, a, he was, a, he was a, one of the head prophets. And then thirdly, we know that he had direct contact, think about this, with the God of the universe. God spoke to, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, God spoke to Jonah. Tonight I hope the Lord will speak to you through his word, through his Holy Spirit, that God will speak to you. And so we learn from verse 1, uh, we know that who Jonah was, but then Verses 1 and 2, I want you to notice very quickly, we see the command of God. Notice what it says in verse number 2. Uh, Jesus, the Jehovah God says, arise. What's the next word? Help me out in verse 2. Arise and what? Go. Go. 
that we see the command of God, the command of the Savior, the command of, the, uh, the command of God, go. God's given us a command. The church is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I was challenged this morning. In fact, Sister D challenged me after the service this morning about the fact that I, and as soon as she said it, I, I know it's true. We do it Wednesday nights, but we need to do it more. We need to highlight our missionaries all around the world tonight, whether it be the Messer Smiths in, in England or whether it be uh, the Childses in, 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 uh, in Australia or whether it be uh, Brother Lee Johnson in Peru. Wherever there are missionaries at, we need to highlight these missionaries. They're, they're on the foreign field all the way around the world. They're, they're obeying the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel of every creature. Matthew 28, 19 tells us that we're to do the same, that we're to go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's the command for Harvest Baptist Church, the commission. God gave Noah a commission. He said, go. But I want you to know the action of the commanded in verse number three and four. Jonah says, no. Kind of like us. Verse number three. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. Now, if you know your geography, if we got the land of Israel, picture the size of New Jersey, and uh, we got Jonah, it's, it's verse, uh, obviously in New Jersey, the, the Atlantic Ocean is on the, the, uh, the east side of New Jersey, obviously, but uh, the Mediterranean Sea would be on the west side of, of Israel, and Jonah would flee to Tarshish. He would go west when he was supposed to go north and east, he went in the exact opposite direction that God told him to go. He, he volitionally disobeyed God. He, his, he, he said no to the things of the Lord. People ask why, and I wish we had a whole message, another whole time just to sound bites, and this is conjecture. Why did Jonah say no to the commission, to the command of God to say when God said go? Well, he could have been a coward, but I don't think he was. I don't think he was a coward, but I do think he was maybe uh, possibly uh, afraid that I wouldn't make him a coward. And I was going to read, but it was so graphic, so brutal. I was studying for the message just this afternoon, and I, I got a hold of stuff. In fact, I've, several times I wanted to read this, but there's historical writings about the brutality of the Assyrians. It is so graphic and so grotesque that I've already alluded to. They made the Japanese World War II uh, soldiers and the Germans look like... Uh, uh, nice guys. I don't know how else to say it. What they did to people, they, they didn't believe in just killing. They believed in torture, the slowest, most excruciating form of torture you could possibly imagine, and they were arch enemies of the children of Israel. And uh, I think that maybe, maybe, just conjecture, Jonah said no because he was afraid. He knew that the Assyrians were incredibly cruel. A missionary, just last week, it's old news now, Monday, many of you heard the news, but an independent Baptist missionary in Cameroon, been there two weeks. Eight children uh, from about uh, 12 years of age and down uh, went to a grocery store and put a bullet in his head, and he's in heaven. He's been in heaven for a week, and his widowed wife and children, we need to pray for this family. Anybody know the name of that family, by the way? Anybody know the name? Uh, we could look at it, we could Google it, it's made national news on some fronts. Our missionary uh, independent Baptist missionary. Maybe he was afraid to go, but maybe, maybe he was just an extreme nationalist. He loved his country, and he hated the Ninevites, and I would say, humanly speaking, rightfully so. He would be xenophobic, phobic rather. He would uh, be a paranoia of other countries, and he said, God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, and Jonah said, no way. And so we see I want you to notice verse 3 real quickly. We see the seer, that's another name for a prophet. 
the seer running. So he runs, and uh, he runs, and he says, the Bible says, verse number three, the latter part of the verse, that he fled from, he, he, he went unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> you ever tried to run from the Lord? Good luck. Nice try. Where shall I flee from thy presence? Psalm 139. Where, where can I go? If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I rise up in heaven, behold, thou art there. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the, good and the evil. Adam and Eve in the garden, they tried to hide from God. How foolish. Are they any more foolish than you and I? Many times we try to hide from the Lord. Jo- Jonah, this seer, said, I'm going to run. I'll go and hide, and I'm going to go the opposite direction. He'll never find me. If anybody should have known, he should have known. So we see the seer running, but then we would see in verse number four, I like this, and we see the sovereign blowing, in no disrespect, but it says, verse number four, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. Our choir sometimes sings that wonderful song. I like to hear it every time they sing it. He's, I know the master of the wind. Matthew 8, verse 27, even the wind, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey his voice. God sent a storm. And he sent a storm, by the way, just because of Jonah. So we see the seer running in verse 3, but we see the sovereign blowing in verse number 4. He's trying to get our, pardon me. Sometimes he sends winds in our lives to get us or get our attention. But then we see verse 5, we see the servant of God descending. And actually we see it in verse 3 and verse 5. I have it circled in red in my Bible the three times that we see the word down in Jonah, verse number two times in verse 3. He says, and Jonah went down to Joppa. Then he went down unto it, uh, uh, to Tarshish. And then we, he went down to the sides of the ship, verse number five. We see the servant descending. Every step of a de- disobedience from our all-sovereign God, when we're running from him, is a step away, is a step down. The only, you know, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. We're to be pressing on the upward way. We're supposed to be heading towards God, not away from God. And so the seer, every step he took was a step downward, a step away from the Lord. But then we see the, not only the servant of the seer running, the sovereign blowing, the servant of God d- descending, but then we see the saint, the sent one, where we get down to verse number six, and he's sleeping. He's sleeping, and the Bible says he's down. I mean, this, this storm is going on, and he must have been tired of running. He'd been running a long time, and he'd been going down a long time, and now he's so tired, he's sleeping right through this storm, and the shipmaster comes, the mariner comes in and wakes him up and says, what, what, what meanest thou, O sleeper? How can you be sleeping at a time like this? Romans 13 reminds us, and knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Hey, if you believed in serving the Lord when you first got saved because you knew the coming of the Lord was near, I'm going to tell you something. It's high time. It's the, near, the coming of the Lord is more near today than it was when you got saved. Now it's not the time to sleep. Now it's not the time to, to uh, take it easy. Now it's not the time to relax. Now it's the time to do the work of God. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that comes, uh, the, night, the night cometh when no man can work. And so he's sleeping. And then we see the, the source of the storm. This is powerful, verse number seven. They woke him up and they cast lots, Bible says, and they, they, said everyone to, they said everyone to his fellow, verse seven, come. Now they, they, they served God, small g. They didn't have the God of heaven, but they had more discernment at this point in time than the prophet of God had. Because they, they said, come let us cast lots that we may know whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. 
I want you to consider this morning, or this evening rather, the source of this storming, the source of the storm, storming. Why did the storm come? Why did the wind come? Jonah! I would submit to you in God's story, and history is his story, in God's story, God's children are center stage. In God's story, we're center stage. We, often, we are often the reason for the blessings even in the world events. I make no embellishment when I say this, but I remember the November night of 2016 when we had the presidential election. And folks, I know many of you are not as politically minded as I am, and I'm not bashing you or faulting you or bragging or anything like that. I'm just making a statement of fact, what I believe is pure fact. God delivered our country and delivered our world on that November night. Contrary to all the pundits, all the pollsters, all the media, all the Hollywood crowd, God delivered us from what could have been and would have been the demise of our country. I, I really believe it. You say, preacher, you're being sensational. I'm not being sensational at all. You have no idea. North Korea, Iran, you have no idea. Economy, you have no idea. The Supreme Court, you have no idea. Our Constitution, our way of life, our freedom of speech, our freedom of expression, our, our Fourth Amendment, on and on I could go. You have no idea how God delivered us. You say, how did that happen? I think there's only one logical explanation why that happened, logical from a biblical point of view. Millions of God's children are praying. Millions of God's children are doing the right thing and praying for God would intercede in our country, and God gave us a great deliverance. It was not a great deliverance just for us and for our country, but for the world. You see, this... this Jonah, he affected, he affected everyone in that ship. He affected every, all the other boats out there in that great storm out there in the middle of that Mediterranean. I, first night we were there, they might be, they're probably right on the, they're probably right at the, the edge of uh, Tel Aviv or uh, what was that town we stayed in? I can't think of the name, but right on, this, right on the shore of, I mean, we could, we could walk. The Mediterranean was from here, from our hotel room. We could see it, it was like the front of 202. And the waves were coming in. Now, if you didn't know any better, I thought we were on uh, the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean on a stormy day. The winds, the waves were coming in 15 feet high and 10 feet high. And, and uh, Jonah was the cause of all that. By the way, human history was changed. If we get to chapter 4, we don't have time to go there. But in chapter 4, he changed human history because he goes to Nineveh, that wicked city. They repent and they get another 100 years of life because of the man of God. You see... History, and there are many people that, that study history, and they just think it's a random, discombobulated series of, rap, of uh, haphazard events that have no meaning or no rhyme or rose uh, or, or uh, no rhyme or reason to them, but we know that history is his story. And the center of attraction is we have this book of Jonah, and it t- tells us that God is, God sometimes sends a storm. By the way, Christians are the reason for blessings around the world. Sometimes we can be the reason for judgments, by the way, as well. The time has come. That's why 1 Peter 4, 17 says what it says. The time has come when judgment must begin first at the house of God. When, you know, it's a remnant in Isaiah 1 that God, God said, except for a very small remnant. Well, you know what's keeping America intact today? Christians, godly Christians. They're serving the Lord. We are the hope of this country. We are the hope of this world. The hope is not in the White House, it's not in Congress, it's not in Hartford, I've said it many, many times. The hope is in churches all across America. That's where the hope is, and it's with God's people. Now we get to the question, and uh, we get to our text verse, and all that was in the way of introduction. I'm trying to hurry, I'll be as brief as I can be. I want to ask, address the question this morning. Jonah, 
Because as I keep seeing this morning, this evening, <laughs> Jonah, who are you? Jonah, who are you? The sailors wanted to know. I want to ask you the question tonight. Who are you? Inquiring minds want to know. God wants to know who you are. And sometimes somebody told me just, in fact, it was just the other day. It was this past week. And somebody said, preacher, uh, where do you, uh," they're not here tonight, so I'll pick on them. If they were here, I'd still probably pick on them anyhow, but I won't say who it is. But somebody that's not here tonight, I'll just tell you that much and no more. They said, uh, do you, uh, they were really inquisitive. I don't know if uh, I should have been uh, offended or proud or hurt or I was none of the above. I was just, it was just an inquisitive question. They said, where do you get your outlines from? Is there like a, a Baptist publication where you get messages from and you, you write down your sermon outline and so forth? I said, why? Do you like, your, do you like the, the outlines or do you not like the outlines? And they said, well, no, 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 we like them. I says, I says well, in that case, I wrote them. So, so I, you know, I came up with my own outlines, you know. But this is one of those outlines here. You say, preacher, where did it come up with your outline? This is, this is my outline, but I really stole it from God because it's right here in the chapter. It's right here in the verse. Look at the four questions here. And I want to address these four questions in the moments that we have tonight. The message is all written out for us right in God's word. Verse 8. Then said they unto him, Jonah, who are you? Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? He's the source of the storm. And then in a fourfold question, they ask a single question. They ask, first of all, what is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And what people art thou? Four sincere questions. I ask you tonight, I want you to, now, if we could in a roundabout way, I want you to forget Jonah. We've already identified who Jonah is. I want to ask you this morning the same question that we ask about Jonah or this, this evening. For the, this, I might as well just keep saying this morning. I said it six times. I ask you this, this evening here, what is your occupation? What is thine occupation? I was talking to Bob right before the service, and I always liked, I was talking to Ron Royer yesterday, and I honestly, I'm not just saying this, I, I enjoyed my days, my limited days back many, many years ago in the factory. I liked factory work. I liked uh, uh, working on machines and so forth and producing parts. It was something fulfilling in regards to that. Bob's a tool and die maker, or at least he he's, uh, works on a machine that I don't know what he works on, but he works on a, he's a master at his trade, I'm sure, and I'm not joking. I'm talking to Ron yesterday, he's a master of his trade. But some would say that's your occupation. Bob's a machinist. Occupy is what occupies most of his life, 20 years of his life, or eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, five days a week, and many, many weeks of the year, of course, for, for 30, 40 years. That's his occupation. They asked him what his occupation was. They were secularists. They were mariners. They were sailors. And they said, well, we're our occupation. It's mariners. What's your occupation? Well, Jonah had an occupation, but... Jonah had more than an occupation, and I have more than an occupation. I, my occupation is I'm a minister of the gospel. I'm a preacher. I'm a Baptist preacher. But that's, my, that's more than my job. My, and I can only say this for me. Hopefully you can say this for yourself as well, even if you're not in full-time ministry. This is my vocation. Vocas is the word for, in Latin, also Greek, of course, you have the, the roots there, that it's your, your calling. This is what I was called to do. Jonah was called. They asked, what's your occupation? What's your vocation? Now I ask you, what's your vocation? Turn quickly. Keep a bookmark in Jonah, Jonah 1 so we can get right back there. Go to the New Testament quickly here. 2 Corinthians. Now you've got to go fast here so we can get done with this message fast. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to see this. What is your vocation? Who are you? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ, I'm not waiting for you to get there, constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all are dead. We've been constrained by the love of Christ, but then we get verse number 17, that famous verse, every Christian should memorize this verse, right? Let's say it together. Ready? Here we go. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Who are we? What's our occupation? Well, the verses go on to say, verse 18, notice what it says, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us unto us by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry. Here's our occupation, here's our vocation, the ministry of reconciliation, to wit or understand that God, who was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, hath committed unto us. The word of reconciliation for the Son of Man, Jesus said of himself in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He came to have a ministry of reconciliation and he left the earth and he gives us this ministry of reconciliation. He says, now then, verse 20, and that's our other key verses, read it together, ready? Here's our vocation, our occupation, ready? Here we go, ready? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. On Wednesday, back in the, the month ago, back at the revival meeting with Pastor Rich, we got up real early in the morning, and I, for the first time in my life since uh, 9-11, we went down to, I went down to Ground Zero. I'd never been there. I never saw the, we went down to Ground Zero. We went around in, uh, I think it's FDR Drive. You New Yorker folks that traveled down there, you know what I'm talking about, uh, along the East River, I think it is, and, uh, and we went right by the United Nations buildings. And those United, they were having meetings right there. There was in the news, so it was on new news going on, and of course the traffic was just unbelievable. All those dignitaries, and we were talking about how you know they can park. They they have immunity, diplomatic immunity. They can park anywhere they want to. They get a ticket. It doesn't matter. They're not from this country anyhow. They million. They they we could pay off the half the national debt if we just got the fines paid for by the 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 so-called ambassadors from other countries. I'm being a little facetious, but not much. But they're ambassadors of another country. They're foreigners in our land. They say they're on sovereign soil there. I won't get too deep in that whole mess, in that nation's mess. But they're ambassadors. They represent their country. Their country comes first. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're ambassadors for Christ. God's given us to the ministry of reconciliation. Let me just say one thing real fast in regards to that, and we'll move forward here. Folks, we're all about reconciliation. That's, what we're, that's our ministry. That's what we do, or we're called to do, reconciling the world unto Christ. We're to be peacemakers. We're to be reconcilers. We got the gospel of peace. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they be sent? How shall they hear unless they be sent? We were sent out in all the world. We're, we're our occupation. Brother Bob, I picked on you already once, so I'll pick on you again. Your occupation is... You go in and you work that machine. What's the name of that machine you run? A Mazak. You all know what a Mazak is, right? Yeah, probably only Bob knows, probably. And he makes those, that surgical, that, that uh, medical equipment stuff from that Mazak. But that's what occupies his time. Bob is a witness to people that I will probably never in this earthly lifetime ever even get to meet or know or ever talk to. And one time in my life, Bob sees him every day. And you see him every day. And the idea, I've rejected this many years ago. I'm in full-time Christian service. You people pay me full-time to be a pastor. 
you're in full-time Christian service, and you're on the front lines. You're in the trenches. You're in the foxhole. In your occupation, I believe, if I'm right, I believe I am, it's the same occupation I have, same occupation every preacher has, every missionary has, every factory worker, every nurse, every, every office worker, were to be in the service of the Lord. What is your occupation? Number two, notice what it says in verse number eight, back to Jonah chapter one. What is thine occupation? Question number one. Secondly, and whence comest thou? Where's your place? It's different. For me, it was country, country Ohio. I've given my testimony many times. I, I'm young people, I, even some of you older people, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I grew up in a world apart from where we live today. I tell the story, okay, I'm 60, 45 years ago, my grandmother got plumbing. I know this is gross, but I'm just going to tell you, we had a five-gallon bucket. Yeah. You say, are you talking about what I think you're talking about? Yes, I am. That's what we had, but we were sophisticated. We had a cold room. We didn't have to go outside. We had a, we had a cold, and we, we did have a seat, by the way. I just want you to know that. But, I mean, we lived, we lived backwoods, but right next door to those two bars. I know my place. I want you to think in your mind where you grew up at, maybe right here. But I want you to think of your people. I think of my people. I think of Hunter Sin and Wally's Tavern. I think of my uncles, my, my, my two uncles, actually three uncles from the married into, owned, those, owned that bar. And the three generations, my, that was my grandfather, my uncle, and my cousin. My cousin's the only one left alive still. He's 65 now. Uncle Norm died many years ago. Grandpa died 40 years ago. They played in nightclubs all across, uh, mostly in the Keys, the Florida Keys. They'd leave Ohio and they'd go down for months. My grandfather could play a mean piano. My uncle played the organ and played the saxophone. My cousin played the drums and sang. And as a 12-year-old boy, I don't say it much, but I remember being in those dark-filled nightclubs, those one-way glass mirrors. I can't say I've never been in nightclubs, but I've been in nightclubs as a little boy when... Well, 21 and under, and I was 21 and over only, and I was there as a 12-year-old boy. I remember God working in my heart even then. I said, this is not the life I want to have. I thank God for those days. Enough of that. Who's your, who's your people? You think of your place, when you ask that question, when's coming out, where's your place, where's your people, where's your, where's your pit? Say, what are you talking about that, preacher? Psalm 40, verse 1, the Psalm of David. I, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. God grabbed me from the pit. He grabbed you probably from the pit too, I think. If you're saved and on your way to heaven, I guarantee he grabbed you from the pit. Mom told me about my brother Bob. I, I'm embarrassed to say that I've talked to my brother Bob less than this many times in the last 35 years. Hardly ever talk about him. He's got serious medical issues. He's had medical issues all his life. He was in a terrible accident when he was a 19-year-old kid. He's walked with a permanent lip. He's had, he's had probably 40 broken bones, if not more. He's had broken pelvises, broken, you name it. He's, he's had two deaths. He's, uh, he's had two lady friends that died. He, Bob's had a lo- tough life. 
Mommy just got out of the hospital just a couple days ago, again, for the umpteenth time. I never talked too much about. But I think of my brother Bob. I think of my brother Gary. Gary's got his friend. He won't hear the tape. He's sitting with his friend right now. His 12th bottle, the 12th friend of 12-ounce cans. I don't know how he does it. He somehow will drag himself out of bed tomorrow morning and go to work. Somehow he does that. But at night, about, oh, 6.30, 7 o'clock, he starts in. How he's alive, I don't know. I know the pit that I came from. Do you know the pit you came from, the place you came from, the people that you came from? Tuesday, by the grace of God, we're going to go see. I got a sad call from confessional time, I guess, and I just... We'll go see Bruce Kachuk. He's over Brooklyn. He's in the prison. I'm on his list. Folks, I, listen, I, I don't know what to tell you. You think you got a bad family? I, I, I preached Bruce's mom's funeral many years ago now. Bruce's family, well, there is no such thing. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to challenge you. We are his family. This is the best family he has. This is the only family he has. Bruce, is, Bruce, oh, he's done some bad things. That's why he's in jail. That's, I suppose, true. He's done some, he's never hurt anybody. Drugs, misdemeanors that turn into when, you're, when you've been a felon and I going too deep. I'm talking about digging a pit. I'm digging a hole right now. Whence comest thou? I'm out of a horrible pit. What's your occupation? Whence comest thou? Question number three of four. And what is thy country? Hey, what's your country? By faith, Abraham. We talked about him this morning. He left Ur of the Chaldees, 75 years of age, not knowing where he went. And he went out. He, he, the Bible says, he was called to go out into a place that he should after receive for an inheritance, and he obeyed. That land belongs to Israel, by the way. That land is God, God ordained it. That's, that's who belongs there, not the so-called Palestinians. That's a lie. That's another fabrication. That's another time, another, another, time, another message, another subject. But he went out and he dwelled in tabernacles and tents and so forth as Isaac and Jacob did. And I'm paraphrasing, but the Bible says, For he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. Philippians 3.20, For our conversation, our good old King James English, for our conversation, our citizenship, our lifestyle, our home is in heaven. For once also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This world's not my home. The songwriter said, In this world, if you're one of if you're, if you're, uh one of God's children, you know your occupation, you know where you came from, you know where you're going. And the songwriter said, I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. I'm going to tell you, I can personally testify, I know this truth, and I, I'm with Pastor Parmar many times at night, he, those headaches get real bad for him, real bad. And I, he doesn't want, he wouldn't want sympathy right now, I'm just telling you, but he tells me all the time, he says, Brother Marty, he said, I'm, I'm tattling now, I call it tattling, my version for gossiping. But he's told me in many occasions, I just want to go home. I want to be with the Lord. It gets so bad. I just, I just ask God to help me. Just, just, I want to go to heaven. Now, if you're younger, especially you young people in this room, you might not understand that. But the older you get, when you walk with the Lord, the more you look forward to that. 
Peggy Isley tells me all the time, I just want to go home. I want to go be with Jim. I want to go be with my Savior. He says, what is that country? The Israelite, he gives the answer, a Hebrew. But he had another country. He was commissioned by the sovereign, the king of the country. And then he asks the question, the fourth and final question. And I ask you tonight, last part of verse number eight, one more time. And what people art thou? And of what people art thou? What are thy people? Well, three things I just want to say, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. My people, my family are Christian people. 1 Peter 2.9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, I get on my, the website there, you know, the webpage pops up in there, and you know, Megan Markle, is that her name? Yeah. Megan Markle, I mean, somehow she makes the news like every other day, it seems like. Who is, who, who, who is she married to, by the way? What's his name? Prince who? Uh, Prince who? Now, I've seen the front end of Buckingham Palace the, the two days we toured London. I've seen the front end. I've been in Piccadilly Square. Some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. Piccadilly Circus, they call it. I've seen the front gates and so forth. And the par- I've seen Parliament. Pretty impressive. I said, wow, that'd be pretty nice to go in there, see that. Well, it'd be nice to be royalty. I am royal. <laughs> you are royal. We have, we're the people of God. My people are Christian people, the best people on the face of the earth. We don't act like it sometimes, but we are. My people, they asked, whose people are you? He wasn't just a, well, of Israel. He was one of the prophets. My people are church people. I Googled, I, I got this online Bible, and so it helps me so fast. It, it does, it's like having 80 books at your disposal in a second. So some of you know what I'm talking about, sword search, or in my case, an online Bible. I just hit my button, I type in, House of the Lord, 532 times it comes up in the Bible. I punch in House of God, 271 times. That's a lot of times. That's 800 times you find some phrase to the effect of House of the Lord or House of God. Uh, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the House of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1, is on our building. Those that be planted in the House of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But if I tear it long, then thou must know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the church, of the truth. Folks, I'm telling you, and I, I've been wrestling with this for years. Very few churches, Baptist churches, don't have Sunday night services anymore. I'm not saying you're not right with God if you don't have a Sunday night service. I'm just saying, I don't think, like Pastor Richard said many times from our, even our pulpit, I don't think we need less church. I think we need more church. And daily, from house to house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I want to be, be involved with the people of, that are involved with the church of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I walked the halls of Congress, I've got to tell you fast here. I met, uh, I saw Marsha Blackburn on the news. Uh, I didn't bother telling Sonny, when she's running for the United States Senate. I, I got my picture, she's standing right here. Joe Manchin, I got my picture with him, standing right here. I was in Tom Cotton's office. I was in, I could start going through and I could boast and brag of the, um, I heard Andrew Rohrbacher the other day. He's got a big fight out there in California. I, was, I stood right next to Andrew Rohrbach, talked to him personally for five minutes. I talked to a lot of the so-called bigwigs. We walked the halls of Congress. I was tired. And Brother Andrew Fisk got more energy than I got at 76 than I have at 60, I'll tell you that, or 59. But I'll tell you what, I, I walked in, and he loves that stuff. 
I like, get me out of here, get me back home, get me back where I belong. I'd rather be in the house of God than in the house of Congress any day of the year. Amen. That was good preaching, Marty. Thank you. I just wanted to tell, I, just, I thought that was good. I just thought I would just take my reward right now. What are my people? What are they people? My people are Christian people. My people are church people. My people are, we got to get this in because it's what ties in with Sunday morning's message. My people are covenant-keeping people, promise-keeping people. We're going to sing in just a few moments. When you count the ones who love the Lord, count me, count me. I was with, I'll give you this testimony and maybe transition, we're done. I was with, that, I was with the Bible Baptist Church there and first time in my life in Vernon, uh, Rockville, Connecticut. They bought an old Jehovah Witness building. Did a nice, beautiful building actually. And it was quite a few, I, was, I pulled in the parking lot, I was, I was like wowed by how many people were there. I, I thought it was gonna be just a small thing. It was quite a, quite a few people to be honest with you. And I talked to Brother Davis, David Davis, who preached here last spring. He's been preaching there for 35 years. Brother Susan goes to there all the time. He's been going there, I think, longer than he's been coming here, or as long as he's been coming here. And uh, they're part of the, they were pre- preachers from Quebec. They were preachers from all over New England and, and New York State. And, and uh, they're part of the GIBM, and I don't have time to explain that to you, but that's the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship. I've never been really aligned with those guys. They're good guys. They're wonderful guys. Uh, we're independent Baptist churches, so we don't, we, don't, uh, we don't have a denomination per se. But we have a group of fellowship. And there's several hundred, maybe 1,000, 1,500. There was a break off of the old Baptist Bible International, 4,000. They kind of went to the proverbial left in the last number of 20, 30 years. And about 1,000 of these churches are thereabouts pulled out from all over America and Canada and around the world, and they, they formed the GIBM. And uh, so I was talking to Brother Davis, and, they, and he says, well, we, you know, we use the King James Bible, and of course I knew that, and we believe in soul winning, we believe in missions, we believe in, and I knew all that, all boilerplate stuff. And then he said to me, he says, and, and he says, and we also all, all hold the closed communion. I said, you do? Really? I didn't know that. Here I am, a veteran Baptist preacher, quite frankly, here I am, been around the block several times in my world. I know independent Baptists, like Bob knows, uh, what's the name of that machine again, Mazak? Yeah, I know that. Like Bob knows every square inch of, uh, micro inch of his machine, I guarantee. I know about the independent Baptist world, but I got educated. And uh, I just summarize, I don't want to confuse you, but I just want to say, Here's what I took away from that two-day conference. Just Thursday night I was there and then Friday. What I took away was these men of God and these people, they really love the Lord. They're really trying to serve God with all their heart and they're serious about the things of God. And they, they love the Lord. They know who they are. They know their, what their vocation is, their occupation is. They know where they came from. Sinners were all sinners saved by grace. They know where, where their country is that they're going. They know whose people they belong to. I asked the question, God, the sailors asked the question to Jonah, Jonah, who are you? Let me ask the members and the friends of Harvest Baptist Church tonight, who are you tonight? I hope that you're a servant of the Lord. You know where you're going. You know your occupation. You know your country. And you know who your people are. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Have your will and way is, Lord, count us when you count those that love the Lord. May we be counted in that number, we pray. Bless as we go into our invitation, or rather our, our communion time in just moments from now. 
We'll thank you for it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymn book, Stand. Let's turn to page 232. For time's sake, I think we'll sing the first and last.